Hello, dear friends. Ernest Holmes, the founder of our particular denomination, once wrote, Today I recognize the abundant life, and I animate every experience within that idea. Let's think about that. Today, this day, I recognize the abundant life, that life itself is filled with overflowing of all the goodness and the life and the joy there is and that I animate every experience within that idea. So think for a second right now, how today would be different, this week would be different, this month, this life, if we began with recognizing that life is an abundance of shared gifts, and that we animate, we give life to every experience that is based on that idea. This month, we have been talking about companions along the path, our, our friends on the journey of this path that we are making by walking. And we focus in mostly on that inner guide, that divine voice, sometimes still, that speaks to us, our true and trusty companion along the path, the inner guide. Sometimes we call it the Christ consciousness. Like we said before, we, we all recognize the inner critic, right? The one that's telling us how we could have done it better or should have done it differently or whatever the case may be. But the inner guide is loving, is wise, and desires our good. And it is from there that we, we trust. It is from there that we get our guidance. The uh, great uh, Persian poet Kabir says this. He says, listen to your own self. If you would listen to that self within you, you will find the truth. And if our teaching teaches us anything, it is this, that we can trust ourself. We can trust ourself for our good. You know, the trick in trusting ourself is recognizing the biases that we hold and how we seek what is called confirmation bias. You know, we seek to, to embrace that which we already know, what Brian McLaren says. He says that we are blind to what blinds us. And so to develop that inner vision, you know, to see through the third eye, it is to become aware of the biases that are there. And, you know, they happen to us at an individual level, and they happen to us at a tribal level. And something that, that I think is really interesting about how we process information is this, is that we are more willing to accept a lie that is told pleasantly than we are to embrace the truth that may be spoken confrontationally. So it's not just knowing, it's the vehicle that delivers. You know, in these times that we're in right now, you know, we're not going to win anybody over by arguing, by, you know, dominating, but by engaging and inviting a new imagination in that is based on love, that is based on wholeness that is based on unity and 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 that's where our work is that's what we're we're up to and um 
What I want to talk about today in this idea is how we begin to see the other in a new way. And what I mean by that is uh, there was a, a great uh, Jewish theologian and philosopher by the name of Martin Buber, and he wrote a book called I and Thou. And what he talks about is, is in more you know, atavistic times, when we found ourselves deeply connected to everything, our relationship to the other, and by the other, whether it be a tree or a flower, a rock, an animal, another person, a sibling, a partner, was I and thou, that, that you are an expression of divinity, that you are a center of divine consciousness within the vast whole. And again, if we think in terms of indigenous groups, you know, it's, it's easy for, for us to understand, you know, the, the relationship to nature, the relationship to all life. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about St. Francis, you know, and he writes this beautiful canticle of the sun where he talks about brother sun and sister moon and brother rivers and sister air and all things. But what has happened is we have moved from an I-thou relationship to an I-it relationship. And what I mean by that is we, we see the other as an object, an object for us. You know, what's in it for me? How does this affect me? Is this a threat to me or is this a benefit to me? And we already have our biases going on about that. And so, and so we create these worlds of objectification where we, we no longer see the divinity, but we see the object. And we see the object through our own perceptions of fears, of ambivalence, of greed, of need, of, of whatever it may be. And so our real trick then is to, is to move from that objectiveness of I, it, to that unity, that sense of wholeness of I, thou. And here's a practice for you. And, and, and really, this changes the universe. And it comes out of a, an ancient Hebrew practice known as tikkun alam, which is the healing of the breach, the healing of the crack in the worlds. So on a walk, on your next walk, Everything that you see, a blade of grass, a tree, a cow, a horse, a dog, a cat, a mailman, a person, whatever, is to say quietly to yourself, just look, pause for a moment and say, you are a center of divine life within the vastness of all that is. That blessing releases within our own consciousness any belief of separation and is actually a very healing act that we do. You know, something that, uh, that we also understand in metaphysics is this. Carl Jung says it this way. He says, you know, that uh, we can only take someone else as far as we've gone ourselves. But I like what Dr. Holmes says where he says, you know, we see the condition in our client, our friend, our partner, we, we see what may be creating suffering or limitation within the other, the thou. 
and we heal that within ourself. And I believe what he means is this, is, you know, if we're going to hold an idea of good for someone else, we have to eliminate from ourself any bias that, that holds them back. So if, if I am looking compassionately of someone who may need a healing for a physical ailment, or maybe uh, they're having a financial challenge, or maybe they're experiencing a sense of loneliness, whatever that may be, then if I hold a bias that their condition is greater than the love and the power of the divine, you know what? It doesn't matter if I affirm things till I'm blue in the face. It doesn't matter if I throw myself before the throne of the divine from now until Sunday. If I have a bias of limitation towards the other, because it's a bias that I hold within myself, and if I don't hold, if I don't shift and change that, really nothing is, is gonna happen. And so, you know, our, our work then is to release what that may be, what bias that may be within ourself. You know, something that the prophet Muhammad says is this. He says that uh, no one of you are true believers until you can wish for the others what you wish for yourself. That we're not true believers of whatever spiritual practice we may be, if we can't, within all sincerity, release any belief in not wishing them the full joy and benefit that we wish for ourselves, that we, we are not true believers of any practice until we can engage in the practice of the thou. Because, you know, prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. God is, whatever you define it to be, but God is the eternal presence of love that permeates all creation. It just is. If, if, if this divine presence was to cease loving, then we would cease to exist because we are known within the mind of God in love. We are created in the experience of the universe in love. We are sustained by the abiding presence of love in the universe. And so our wholeness comes from knowing that love. You know, there's, there's two, uh, there's several, but I'm, I'm thinking of, of two particular stories within the, the stories of this first century Palestinian who was a, a great teacher and a, and a, and a healer and a, and a revolutionary. And, and in one of the stories, uh, someone comes to him. Well, actually, he's, he's going to a man who, is, who has been infirmed for 38 years, probably his whole life. And he's at this place near the temple called Bethesda. And the story is, is that from time to time, angels would come down and trouble the waters, stir the waters of Bethesda. And if, and if a person could get into the waters at this time, then there would be a healing. But because this man had an infirmity, he couldn't walk, and, and no one was there to carry him through the crowds, he was stuck. And so this great teacher, Jesus, says, will you be made whole? 
do you want to be made whole? And the man says, well, of course I do. And he says, well, you know, that's all you need. <laughs> you know, our, our, our willingness is our worthiness of the, the good that there is. But if we're stuck in an idea that it can't, or I need this, or it has to be a certain way, or a certain ritual, that I can't achieve my good, then we're limited by that bias. And so the invitation then is to ask the question, will you be made whole? Are you willing to embrace the good that is there for you? And it is in that willingness. And our practice then is to allow our ego to serve the soul. And you know the ego is uh, the ego gets a bad rap. It's kind of an important part. It's that aspect of ourself that is aware that we are aware. It's that I that I know myself. I know I exist. I'm here. I'm in this body. I'm wearing these clothes. I'm doing these things. I have this job. I'm in this relationship. Whatever it may be, that's that's the ego's job. Now what happens is the ego has a tendency to think that it's it but really it is the servant of the soul. Recognizing that I animate all my actions in congruency to the good, to the love that unifies, that accelerates awakening and, and creates a level of good and beauty in all things. And so we do this in treating our mind, treating our consciousness. You've heard me say probably a million times if you're part of our community here in Fallbrook, but there's a quote from Emerson that I love. It's kind of a mantra of mine where Emerson says, prayer is the contemplation of the facts of life from the highest point of view. And by the way, worry and prayer are the same activity of mind because what is worry you know worry is what the contemplation of the facts of life from the worst case scenario but we can consciously shift that to the highest point of view and we do that by treating our mind first by eliminating from our own biases any belief in limitation to the good that we are seeking one of our great teachers in this particular movement that we're in was a woman by the name of Emma Curtis Hopkins. And she would say that the difference between somebody who is prosperous or well or happy or you know fill in the blank, the, the, the difference between the person that's experiencing their good and the person who is not experiencing their good is that the person has who is experiencing their good has eliminated from their consciousness all belief in limitation that the person who is not experiencing their good, as she says, holds on to with tenacity. And so we have a certain form of prayer. And the prayer that we use is called an affirmative prayer. And we, we call it a spiritual mind treatment because it treats our mind. And that there are five steps in this 
we we recognize that we are immersed in a spiritual universe that there is a loving a living presence that is in all things through all things as all things and if that contemplation becomes true with us the natural conclusion is is that we are part of this thing called life we are part of this thing called love we're not separated from it that is there and it, and if that love is is present within us then of course as jesus says it is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom it is the divine essence love that desires our good and so we recognize and we can realize that the good that we are seeking is seeking us that it is organizing our imagination that it is surprising us amazing us drawing to us giving us insight drawing to that we create a ripple in the universal fabric that then becomes a vortex attracting the thing that we are seeking because we're making it conscious this by the way is quantum physics right you know because because our observation our realization of this good is collapsing infinite possibilities until this good and then we move to this experience called gratefulness thanksgiving because when we are grateful we expand when we are grateful we open up when we are grateful we are generous and so we move we train ourselves to be in that state of consciousness and we let the divine do the work and so let's pray together in this moment, recognizing that there is one life, one presence that is love. It is called many names and every name is really inadequate, but it is an idea, a perspective that leads us to this place of amazement of knowing the presence of love in all that is, and that the presence of love lives in me, lives in you, lives in all creation, and that we are one with this. And so the good that we seek is seeking us. And to yourself right now, quietly call that good in. Call that good in. Change, joy, love, health, prosperity. And in this moment, I am grateful. I'm grateful for there's a technology that allows you and I to be together here virtually. I'm grateful for the amazement of life that is surrounding me every day. I'm grateful that um, I'm grateful that I am just awake here in this moment, being present to all this good, and in this great gratefulness, in this good that I know is here. I know that this infinite presence of love receives from me the direct imprints of my thoughts and acts upon them. And so there's nothing else to do except be filled with joyful anticipation of the good that is coming. And so we let it be, and so it is. So thank you again for being part of our, our celebration that we are doing virtually every week. And if you are in Fallbrook or points nearby, please come visit us on Sundays. 
go to our Eventbrite so that we know you're coming. But, but thank you for, for participating. You know, we are growing every day. We had just, just shy of 10 new subscribers last Sunday. And so because you are getting the word out and because you're sharing with other people, we're beginning to grow and expand. But I want you to know, you know, in these up until now times, these times that are like no others, we are absolutely dependent on your generous and continual support. You know, our mode of revenue is shifting and changing. Um, we're not able to utilize our facility like we were able, able to before. And so we depend on you. And um, thank you. Thank you for your continual and generous support. And I also want to let you know that in two weeks, November 1st, we will be celebrating virtually and live Dia de los Huertos, the Day of the Dead. And so on that day, you know, before you sit down and watch the service, maybe you pour a cup of tea, maybe you sit down with some people, get a couple photographs uh, or tokens of those whom you love who have moved on into the light that are no longer here. Maybe light a candle, maybe some roses or marigolds, and create an altar because we're going to consciously remember and celebrate and sing their goodness. And so again, dear friends, to you and to those whom you love and those whom you receive love from, I wish you from the bottom of my heart many, many, many blessings. <laughs>